Welcome to the Unsuccess Podcast, a podcast where we talk about uh, ministry and life and other stuff in Portland. But today, we're not going to talk about a lot of that. Um, Josh, we've been off for a couple of weeks. Yeah, I <laughs> talk about true unsuccess. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, for those of you who don't know, Josh, Josh took a tumble. Josh fell off a mountain. So, yeah, like um, I, I didn't know you could actually do that, you know, fall off of the mountain, but... That's how it was presented to me. I fa- Okay, so I found out, I, I'm going to get my stuff in now because I feel like this is just going to be all about you uh, pretty soon. <laughs> so uh, I found out on Sunday morning, I, I saw on Facebook, Josh <laughs> fell off Mount Hood and I, w- I went to church... And I'm the pastor at the church. I luckily, thankfully, wasn't preaching that day. But I went to Sunday school. I hadn't talked with you. I hadn't talked with anyone about you. I, all I knew was you were in the hospital. And I realized after about 20 minutes that I hadn't heard a dang thing at all in Sunday school. I was just thinking, like, how's Josh, how's Josh, how's Josh, you know? Like, what, what happened to my friend? And... So, um, so I got there and you were, you were kind of a mess. Yeah. Um, so, uh, so you were in Sunday school and then I, how did you, what, like, how did you figure out what exactly happened? Oh, well, I saw a thing that Lauren posted, but only one of them. And it was like the least detailed one. Oh, okay. Yeah. It was, uh, many of you heard Josh fell off Mount hood. He's in the hospital. And that was basically it. And I hadn't seen or heard anything else. Um, it was interesting because we showed a video that the two of us shot yeah, right. that day. And it was a little unnerving to see you happy and all together. Right. And I'm like, oh, yeah, this guy is near death right now. Right. So, um, yeah. So tell our listeners what happened. Because I know some of our listeners definitely know some of them don't and some of them have probably heard things but don't really know the whole situation so saturday may 26 my buddy eric and i we um we climbed mount hood and to do when you climb mount hood a lot of people were asking me like why would you climb it when it it, like when it's so icy well that's actually how you're supposed to climb the mountain you know especially mount hood because there's there's so many glaciers up there you have to climb it when it's solid Um, and so we climbed all through the night as well. That's the other thing because you don't want, you want the, you want a firm footing. And so we left about midnight. Um, is it, is it the best way to climb? Cause you fell off. (laughs) (laughs) I I, I feel like you aren't the one to give tips anymore. (laughs) I've, I've told people like we, we had a very successful climb. It was just the way that I went about kind of coming down that, um, sure. I, I kind of failed. Sure. So you're but, climbing all night. Yeah. And conditions were actually almost perfect. It was windy, uh, but the the surfaces were, was great. Yeah. So we started at midnight. Um, we reached the summit about um, about 8, 8 a.m. Saturday morning. Um, and it was gorgeous at the summit. Like the sun was out. Clouds, you could look out and the clouds were all about like five to 6,000 feet. And of course, Mount Hood is, I think it's 11,200 feet. Um, and so we're above the clouds. It's kind of an ocean of clouds. You could look out. You can see all the other mountains peaking up above there. Um, down to the south, we saw Jefferson and the sisters. And the north, of course, you see Rainier and Mount Adams and Mount St. Helens. Um, just a beautiful day. But I was exhausted. Um, and I hiked my skis all the way to the summit. Um, that's kind of a stupid thing. And now... I kind of assure that that it's not real smart. Most people it, don't do that. You've done it. I've done it a few times, but because the final ascent to Mount Hood is so steep, um, and it's actually like shoots that you actually have to climb up or climb down. Um, there, there's not there's uh, there's not a real easy way to ski down, um, and so most people will leave their skis or their snowboard at the bottom of Hogsback, um, which I think is about 10,500 feet. And um, they'll make the final ascent, they'll come down, and then they'll they'll ski down from there. Um, but I, I don't know, I've, I've always been a go big guy, you know? Um, 
And so why yeah. stop? <laughs> like, why not just take your skis all the way to the top? Um, and so that's what I did. I, I've done it just about three times before. I did it from the actual summit twice and then just from the top of Hogsback um, one other additional time. Um, and so we were at the summit for about an hour, um, and then we decided to, to head down, and we actually kind of traversed across the summit. The summit's actually sort, sort of like a ridge. And so we went along the ridge, probably about 25 to 50 yards to the west, um, to I believe what's old, what's known as old the old chute, um, and we looked down onto what's Coleman Glacier, and it's just gorgeous. Like the sun was hitting it, and I was my impression was like the sun had hit it for about an hour or so, and it was softening the snow up, you know, and it was just going to be really nice skiing down. Um, so it, it it took a while, probably 15, 20 minutes for kind of me to get booted up and, and get my skis on. Um, I mean, we're on the edge or we're really on this slope. And so I, in order to actually put my backpack, I had to take my ice axe and jam it into the ice. So like my backpack's just kind of hanging on the slope. Otherwise, you know, it would have flown down the mountain as well. But so I got my boot, my ski boots out of the backpack and my skis and, and clipped in. Um, and my buddy who was with me, he was, we kind of rock, paper, scissored, and I was the one to go first. Um, I mean, did uh, he climb up and ski down with you too? That's what the plan was. He had his snowboard. Um, but he'd never done it from the summit before. And so that also was kind of, I volunteered and like, yeah, okay, you know, just I'll drop first. Um, and then you follow me. So I got all ready. He wasn't quite ready. Um, like, all right, here goes. And I, I put my backpack on and was ready, took two turns and realized that it was still a sheet of ice. Um, my edge slipped out from underneath me and I started sliding. And I think right away I kind of had a flip um, and realized pretty quickly that I was not going to regain control. I've had accident or I've had falls like that in the wintertime all the often and you just kind of do a somersault and you're right back up into it, you know, and the, of course the difference is in the wintertime you have a lot more snow and a lot less friction uh, or a lot more friction, I guess, you know, and, sure. uh, and there was no, there was no friction at all, um, you know, on my, on my ride down. Um, it was just sheer ice and I picked up speed very quickly um you know within kind of one or two flips i realized that like i'm i'm flying down this the sheet of after ice after one or two flip you're already flipping i'm already point. flipping and i'm trying to regain control but i realize that i'm going way too fast to be able to do that i'm trying to kind of get dig my edges into the ice with my skis um, but at some point, probably about halfway down or so, my skis end up falling off. Is that's what they're designed to do? Um, and I started trying to dig my ankle or my my ski boots into the snow. Um, my poles started just trying to grasp at anything, um, and and couldn't. It was a completely helpless situation. Um, and I don't know. Like at that point, I'm still. Again, I, I'm still oh, grasping for life um, and for safety, and trying to trying to save myself. Um, but I I think in the back of my head I knew the inevitable, um, and I knew I knew the likelihood of my survival was like nil. Um, right, next to nothing. Yeah, because I I knew what was below me. When did you? When did you realize, like, you? so you're you're jabbing things in trying to stop yourself. How long before you realized there, I mean, there's I mean, no we're way. talking just seconds. And so, like, everything happened so fast. Um, like, to, to try to process that in my head, like, it, I, I'm still in survival mode, you know? And so, like, I'm not actually... I, I think it's set, settling in pretty quickly that I'm going to die. But you're still but instinctively But I'm still jabbing instinctively in. jabbing in, yeah. And then I, I blacked out. Um, I mean, pro I'm, we're talking maybe maybe five, ten seconds at the most from when I started falling. 
um, to when I blacked out, you know, mm. so not a lot of time. And of course it happened so quickly. And I, I like, I picked up highway speeds. Like I'm, I'm sure I was going 60, 70 miles an hour by the time I hit. Um, and, uh, so I'm, I'm quite certain I blacked out before I hit. Um, yeah. and then I, I came to shortly after, I mean, there was, there's responders were there within minutes um, because I was skiing right down, right next to the, the, the route to hike up. Um, I think the responders were on their way even before I landed. Um, and so I, my first, my first response when I woke up, I saw somebody leaning over me like, can, can you breathe? You know, like, what's your name? And asking me these questions, um, right away, I, I knew I was okay. Um, it was amazing. Like adrenaline kicked in and, and thinking back on that, like I realized how amazing of a drug adrenaline is. Like it, it's really a saving drug. I think, you know, that God kind of instinctively put within us. Um, but yeah, as adrenaline kicked in and I, I felt fine. Like one of my first things is like, I want to call my wife and assure her that I'm okay. <laughs> um, you know, like I, f- I fell, and they I'm, did let you, right? Well, they soon they kind of tried, um, but the problem is where we were. Cell oh, service true. was sketchy, you know, and like, and there there actually wasn't pe- people weren't able to call. I did ask around, like, can somebody call? They my didn't wife? have can like call the responders didn't have radios to the. Not right. I mean, the responders, the first responders, were just fellow climbers. Um, and it was amazing that the the climbers who were there, like the first responder was an internal medicine doctor um, who just happened to be climbing. Not only was he just climbing that day, but he was right at the, the right spot. I'm not sure if he was climbing down or climbing up, um, but he was right at the perfect position to be able to respond to me. And then there's also PMR, which is Portland Mountain Rescue. Uh, they, I believe they were doing some training up there and they were already up there. So they had a team that they were, that they, they're already in place. And so they had a lot of kind of equipment to at least secure me. Um, but yeah, I, so I fell at, um, uh, it was shortly after 10 AM was my fall. And then my wife wasn't contacted until 1230, um, by a, a fellow hiker, he was hiking down and he got to a point where he had service and he's like, Hey, I just want you to know, you know, like my name's Travis and, um, your husband was in a fall. He's okay. Um, but that's about all he knew. And then shortly after that, the sheriff, um, the Clackamas County Sheriff's office called her and was on the phone with her every hour. So wait, so they had ID'd you enough to where the person making the call to your wife knew yeah. to call well, your wife. Because, well, what happened, like, I woke up and I was completely with it. Um, and so my mind was completely fine and completely functional. I mean, well, some people would argue that my brain was fine because they would say there was something wrong with my brain beforehand, um, making <laughs> such a decision to... I, uh, I would say that. <laughs> Like who skis down of, from the not summit because of, of the, the ski mountain? Thing, just because of knowing you, <laughs> because of other things, yeah. yeah. Um, but but completely with it, I knew my I knew I knew Lauren's phone number. Unfortunately, like I think that's the only phone number I know by heart. Good. Um, but yeah, I, I, over and over again, I'm like this is her number. Somebody call her, and I would love to be able to talk to her because I I knew in a situation like that, everybody back home. Like they start freaking out. Yeah, of course. Like y- you get concerned even then Sunday morning, and you know after I'm in the hospital, like you're having almost like these slight panic attacks. Well, you, you know? want to hear from the person. You, you, right? There's something settling about hearing a person's voice. Yeah. And so, like every first responder in the world could call Lauren, but you knew that she would want to hear your voices. Yeah. And I wanted to. I wanted to tell her. You know, like I wanted to be there to assure her that everything's okay. And my mom too, like my mom is a big one. Um, you know, for, for our listeners, for those who don't know, um, I had a brother, I think it's 11, 11 or 12 years ago who died in a ski accident, a younger brother. Um, and so this kind of thing, of course, just is traumatic for, 
um, for parents yeah. and for family, you know, like I've already lost one. I can't lose another, the same thing. Yeah. Um, but, uh, but yeah, so that was, that was tough and difficult. Um, and so they, they assured me, you know, over and over again, I'm like, I want to talk to my wife. They're like, don't worry. The Clackamas County Sheriff's office is talking to her. I'm like, no, like, that's I'm, not the same thing. <laughs> right. Like that's actually going to not help at all. <laughs> um, but, uh, but I, yeah. yeah, everyone's, everyone's really settled when they get a call that begins with, hi, I'm from the Clackamas County <laughs> Sheriff's <laughs> office and, I'm gonna... and your husband <laughs> dot, dot, dot. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, not the phone call that you really want to right. have. And of course they didn't know much, you know, like that I'm up on the mountain. I know the details of everything, you know, and they, they're down in the parking lot, you know, and, um, so, but the, the rescue, the rescue was, was quite phenomenal and, and interesting, you know, and, um, and I've, I've learned a lot just kind of reflecting on that, um, one of the one of the big things, the big switches for me that kind of thinking back on it, when I was falling, I was trying to regain control. Um, like I was helpless, I was out of control, but I'm still I'm still fighting for control. Yeah. Um, but when I came to, when I woke after the kind of the responders were there, like I just kind of lay limp. Um, I knew I was okay. My ankle hurt like crazy, and my wrist hurt like crazy. Um, but the again, the adrenaline was helping take care of that pain, and I just kind of lay still, and I I knew I was going to be okay, um, just because the responder was already there over looking over me. You know, I'm like, now I am at the mercy of whoever helps save me, and for it it took ten hours, which is a super long time uh, to be laying in the snow and to be up on the mountain. Um, and it got, it was a long, long 10 hours. Um, and the entire time, though, my head, my head is just looking up. I never sat up to look around, but my, like, my neck is straight. I'm laying down, and my eyes are looking up to the sky. Um, That's disappointing. You get this beautiful helicopter flight off of Mount Hood. And the, the, yeah. the least you'd want is to at least be able to see it. Right. It's <laughs> like a horse with blinders, you know, and... Um, and I, I kind of, I think part of that was that just that complete surrender that, yeah. you know, I, um, oh, I, they're fixing I you into. and you don't get to see it. Right. Yeah. And it's amazing too. The plans, um, I, I think the the rescue plan changed probably a dozen times while I was up on the mountain. Um, and of course they didn't care all <laughs> my opinion, you know, and, and <laughs> I had no say in the matter and, uh. You know, I've never actually rescued anybody off of the mountain, but I have lots of opinions and ideas. Well, you've also rarely uh, had your opinion shot down a hundred percent, right? Um, <laughs> Usually, people give at least a little bit. Yeah, it was, it was quite humbling, you know, just to just to lay there and realize that my life is completely dependent on on others, you know, and having to having to rely completely on others that they're going to do it their way and not my way. And I've got to trust them. Um, and I had, I had no other choice, um, but to do that. And, um, and it was, it was cool. There's, um, one of the big insights that I kind of picked up on was the fact of how many different people were on the rescue team. Um, I think there's a total of six, six different organizations officially. Um, but, uh, I can, kind of get it and, and read those here in a second. Um, but with those different with those different organizations, there were also just kind of fellow hikers. And so there was about 30, I was told there were 30 total um, on my on my rescue team. But they didn't all know each other. It's not like they worked with one another. Um, but they they were a team that was just thrown together to, to save me. Um, and when somebody new would show up with more experience onto the scene, like everybody would say, all right, you know, so-and-so is in charge now. Um, and, and they would relinquish control and then somebody else would, would show up. Um, and then they were in charge and then people, were, people would take different, uh, kind of different areas. Um, 
So the, the six organizations that were involved, the first is the Clackamas County Sheriff's Office, um, Portland Mountain Rescue, PMR, and they were already up there doing some training. Um, AMR, the RAT team, um, which is the, oh, the reach and treat team. Um, they were, they were a part of that United States national guard. They brought the helicopter in and they, at one point they were able to lure a medic down out of the helicopter. Um, so they were involved. The Mount Hood ski patrol came up, um, and then the mountain wave communications. And so th these six different organizations, you know, all work together as far as I could tell pretty seamlessly, um, and had to adapt, um, to the changing conditions. Um, but it was... I don't know, it was quite remarkable. Um, and I could just hear. I couldn't see anything, but I could hear kind of the chatter on the radios um, and, and kind of hear the plans. Um, and I, I knew I was aware of, of where I was, and so I could kind of image, you know, piece that together and, and image that just because of my uh, understanding and my awareness of the, um, oh, just the geography of the mountain, I guess, and the layout of the mountain. Um, but, uh, but I'll, so within a few hours, um, the plan was for the helicopter national guard came in and that was an experience, um, a huge helicopter, man. Um, I think it was a black Hawk that, that came in and I, like, I hear it coming, you know, probably from a mile or two away and, and it comes and I, I hear, I don't actually see it, but I can hear it right above me. Right. And then just moments later, it goes away. <laughs> like, wait, I felt like Tom Hanks in Castaway, you know, like, stop, no, I'm over here, don't leave. And, like, somebody get a smoke signal or something up. Um, what happened? But because the, the, there was high winds. and Oh, they we, couldn't land. They couldn't land, uh, and they wow. couldn't even, the, the initial plan was for them to come in and actually, like, drop a rope or drop a line and then pull me up. Because um, it's really, there's, nowhere really to land on on the side of the mountain um but because the winds were so high and in 2012 there was a big accident where i think it was a black hawk actually smashed into mount hood or into the mountain oh gosh um and i i remember watching that in, in a in a rescue attempt and and so they told me as the as the helicopter is leaving they're like we don't want a repeat of 2012 um and i'm like yep we nope. We, I get you. We yeah. yeah. We don't want that at all. Right. Um, so this is probably two to three hours into the rescue, and then as the helicopter is leaving, the plans change, and I hear on the radio they're like, "Okay, we'll send a sled up from the lodge." I said, "We'll probably be there within like three to four hours." <laughs> like, ah, <laughs> that's a long time. Um, but in that moment, I realized just how how removed from civilization and, um, and how remote I actually was. Even though I could see the lodge, I could see the, the ski lift, um, I was high enough on the mountain that you can't, like, you can't drive a snowcat or a snowmobile up the mountain, you know, that far. It's just, um, it's just too precarious. And so it was, it was a reminder um, of just the kind of the wilderness, I guess, that, that I was actually in. Right. Um, so that's what eventually happened. They got the, they brought the sled up. Um, at this point, it's probably, oh man, probably five, six hours into the day. Um, when they finally got the sled up to me, um, they got me strapped into it and, um, and then they were, oh, they started kind of moving me around at that point, um, and lowering me down the mountain and, um, the plan, there was actually three total attempts with the helicopter. Um, again, the second attempt, they were able to drop a medic down. And then the third attempt, they're actually going to try to land it in what's known as the devil's kitchen, um, which is, a kind of a sulfur field up there that it's, it's rocks and it's sort of flat. Um, and they were, uh, um, yeah, they were going to load me then into the helicopter, but the winds were still too high and, so at that point, they, um, the resolve was just to, to repel me all the way down to the Palmer snowfield where then they would put me in a, a snowcat and then take me to the, oh, to the parking lot um, and then helicopter me to Emmanuel Hospital to the trauma unit. Wow. Um, 
and so it was it was a long ride down um you know in that in that sled with my injuries that's where it became incredibly painful you know it wasn't so bad just laying the injuries weren't as bad um but once he got strapped into the sled um you know i started dealing a little bit with shock i think and um and then temperature wise like i was laying in the snow for five six seven hours yeah um and you really get really get cold yeah um but then the sun was out and as we and and then they wrapped me in a tarp and an inflatable blanket and um all sorts of crazy stuff and so then i went from being cold to being ridiculously hot because the sun's beating on me you know and at the point when they got me in the sled then i'm not directly on the snow um so it was it's quite 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 an experience um but i was able to be positive the, the whole time and i i had the assurance i knew that again my limbs my ankle my wrist were pretty messed up um i thought my back was injured but it just so happened that it was just kind of ice rash um because I wasn't wearing my ski coat. Um, it was... Uh, you don't need to admit things like that while we're alive. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> People I mean, are going to hear this, man. It was it was warm. The sun was hit coming out. I'm like, oh, the ski coat's kind of hot. And so I had my Under Armour shirt and a T-shirt on as well. Okay, over I'll admit that. it. I was skiing naked. It's, <laughs> it's fine. Um, it's fine. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I had I had ice rash pretty bad on my lower back and then my arms um oh, gosh. pretty pretty bloodied up from that. Um but no real no real internal injuries surprisingly and amazingly. Um But yeah, so I um I made it down and it took about 10 hours total. Again, the longest 10 hours of my life. Right. Um but the whole time, like, I I, don't know, I never gave up hope. I knew everything was going to be fine. It was just, you know, a, a test in patience and, again, a test in, in trusting others. I'm completely helpless. You know, I'm at the mercy of, of these, yeah, these let's, rescuers. Um, let's talk about that because uh, you have – you've talked with me about the um, ten stages of the spiritual life before. Yeah. Um, and I don't know if you plan to go here, but we're going here. Um, and then stage – Eight or nine, right, is full on surrender. Stop eight. E- explain explain these stages just yeah so, really quickly. So the stops in the spiritual transformation, um, these were you know originally identified by George Barna, who's an author and researcher. Um, but the first is um, ignorance of sin or ignorance that there's a problem in the world. The second is uh, awareness, but in completely indifferent. Um, to the fact of the problems around us. The third is a concern. Um, you realize that we're not good enough um, and we can't be good enough. And then the fourth is confession and forgiveness. And so that's you know, typically in the, in, in the Christian realm, that's where justification or salvation happens. Um, and then stop five is increased religious activity, and that's where church exists. Um, or... <laughs> You know, for for others, kind of human humanitarian efforts, um, do good kind of mentality is really that stop five. Where so so four is where a lot of Christians seem to stop, or five, five, every four and five. Yeah, like I feel we like um, we we accept forgiveness and then and realize grace is kind of at play in there. And then four f- four would be your pray this prayer, right? Uh, the the speakers who say pray this prayer and then. Okay, you're done. You're saved. Right, and and that's where it stops. And then five would be yeah, and where then, a lot of other Christians um, stop. Yeah, so stop five is the, is like is going to church or reading your Bible or again just doing good things. Kind of at the you know the the broad broad perspective of that, um, and and we, it makes us feel good. I mean, there's yeah, of course the that's why that's why people do good things. I think there's something kind of intrinsically created within us that. Um, you know, when we love others, when we treat others well, um, there's definitely a benefit. We, it, there's a drug, you know, that, that our body kind of creates for that. Um, but stop six then, and um, George Barna's research says it's about 10 years in that stop five and that do good, that religious activity. Um, and then stop six is this discontent where, I don't know, that maybe that drug wears off a little bit. We realize that it's just not enough to do good things, you know, or to, to do church. Um, 
and, and then stop seven is brokenness. Um, so I, I think, I think it might be fair to say that I definitely experienced some brokenness, um, at least physically for sure. <laughs> how um, many, how many bones did you break? Yeah. So my total injury count, um, it, it's, it's, it's a lot, but, <laughs> um, it's significantly less than it should have been or definitely could have been. Right. Um, so starting from the head, um, I have two lacerations on the scalp, um, required some stitches as well as staples. I think they put about nine staples in. Um, and then going down my left scapula was broken, my shoulder. Um, and then I broke two ribs, my left ribs, number three and number five. Um, I just recently had a, um, oh, uh, my appointment with my primary care physician and she's like, why did you skip number four? <laughs> um, <laughs> like, yeah, that's a good question. But yeah, so the left side, number three and five were, um, were fractured. Um, later found out on the right side, um, that my, uh, I had, and that's where the, the pain, it still is after two weeks. That's one of the most painful parts. Um, but my, Oh, I had kind of bruising, I think, an inflammation of the cartilage and the muscle between some of the ribs. Um, there's possible muscle tear there so, or strains, and that that's really painful. Um, I My left wrist was pretty messed up. That was very badly dislocated. Um, so on the mountain, they actually put that in a splint, um, and that was probably the most painful thing on the mountain that I was experiencing. Um, also kind of going back up to, I guess, to the chest and the abdomen, they found in the hospital, they found that I had a pneumothorax, which is like an air pocket between the, the lung and the chest cavity. And fortunately, it was, it was small, uh, but had that been kind of bigger or, or larger, what happens with pneumothorax is, is that it causes your lung to collapse. And so I could have very easily had a collapsed lung, and that could have been the end of me up on the mountain. Yikes. Um, yeah, which is incredibly scary. Um, but that that resolved itself within a few days. Um, and then I had my my ankle um, is the probably the worst and the most severe injury that I had. And it became evident that I hit my ankle, took the full force of the fall. Um, I had my ski boot on. And so it actually, the ski boot, I think, protected most of the bones. Oh, but, nice. but my talus, which is, you know, it's underneath... It's above the heel, um, it's above the subtalar joint, and it's below the ankle joint. It's kind of right in the middle of everything. It is pretty much pulverized. Um, nice. And uh, and it it took it that bone took the beating of you know of my entire body. Um, and you know, David, you created a shirt from that and we were, we, this tagline, it's like, Jesus is my talus. Um, cause Jesus took the full force of, you know, of everything. I, uh, um, I mentioned that to our associate pastor and he goes, wow, that's cheesy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Incredibly here's the, here's cheesy. the other thing. But there's so, a story so behind I made, that. You know? I made, we are. We are off on a rabbit trail, but that's fine. I know where I know how to get back. Um, but so I, I made this shirt. I whipped it up in like five minutes because I thought it'd be funny. I I thought it would be a funny joke for you, Josh. And then you put it on Facebook, <laughs> and people bought it. <laughs> and I didn't give us any profit at all. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, cause I, cause I didn't think that this was going to be out there. I thought, oh, well, what, once it got out there, we could have made a couple of bucks here and there right. on these Jesus is my Taylor shirts. <laughs> um, who knows? Maybe, like, maybe, maybe it's a, 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 a oh, um, it's, it's like a modern day tract is what it is. Yeah. Maybe People, it's a brand that'll really catch on and, and it will. who knows? <laughs> Jesus is my Taylor. Yeah. I, I so. hear song coming out too. Like, we get, <laughs> Somebody's got to write a song that Jesus is my Taylor's. Well, I was thinking Pulverized Taylor's is a pretty good band name. Pulverized like Taylor's, yeah. Like a, a metal band. Um, so, so yeah, you you had all kinds of bone shattered in your body um, because we were talking about brokenness. So, yeah. so you experienced so the ex- brokenness. I experienced the brokenness, and then stop eight is surrender. Right. And 
Um, we think, oh man, surrenders is this tricky thing. Like we think we're surrendered until, until we realize we're not, you know, and again, laying, oh, being up on the mountain, being rescued, um, you know, like it, it was hard. Like I was fighting against that a little bit. It, it was hard for me just to lay there to be completely surrendered to let these other rescuers kind of do their, their thing. And I was again, completely at their mercy but I didn't want to give up control. And so I think like surrender, surrender is giving up, having to do things our way. Um, surrender is giving up um, oh, the need to be validated, the need to be affirmed, the need to be relevant, you know, as Jay talked about, you know, recently. Right. Um, and... And like that's that's true surrender, and I don't we can't we cannot really experience surrender without true brokenness. I think that's that's one of the problems. That's one of the issues. Kind of in in our society, in our in our culture, definitely we see that in the church, uh, where we are we push this do good mentality and we push this American dream, um, and brokenness is not uh, it's not a value that we like to embrace um because it shows uh, it shows weakness it shows defeat um but there's a there's this beauty when we can when we can journey through brokenness and and then that if we let it if we we have to open ourselves to surrender um then we can experience this profound love from god that is truly grace-filled like just f- because we we realize that we cannot do anything that we are completely helpless um and the, this fall this experience has you know for me been a reminder of that again that like i i wasn't saved because of anything i did um and not because of how good i was but like i was completely 100% at the mercy of external forces of, you know, of God, um, of, of others. Like it was, it was completely powerless, completely helpless in that. And, and there's a great life lesson there, you know, for us to, to be able to take that. And for me, this challenge, you know, to, to take that and let that really transform my own life, um, and be surrendered, not having to have things, go perfectly or go my way, you know, and in other areas of life, um, if, you know, for certain. So, and then the, so that's stop nine is experiencing that profound love of God. And then stop 10 is, is being able to love others. Mm -hmm. Um, and that loving others bit, um, that's something I'd like to kind of talk about, you know, a bit. Um, and it's been a reminder for me, uh, speaking with my spiritual director, um, kind of through this a few different times, um, who's a Jesuit priest, and um, and he kind of assured me that I probably wasn't saved for my sake. Um, God mm. didn't kind of protect me for me, um, but rather, you know, God's hand was on me because the sake of others. And he said, you know, maybe, maybe it's for your children. Maybe you're one of your children is going to grow up to be kind of a world changer and, and they need you in your life, in their life right now, or maybe your spouse, or, uh, maybe it's some members in the congregation or in the community, or maybe it's your mom, like, you, like your mom would not be able to, um, kind of endure the loss of two sons to a ski accident, you know? And, um, and so God really, uh, that that's a humbling a humbling thought to think that you know god miraculously protected me not not because i'm special but because of other people um and because my life i'm called to be loved by god and to love others um and so it's it's been a great reminder to kind of to think about that um, so I, let's come back to the story for a second. Um, so I, I, I was loaded in the helicopter and, um, 
about eight or eight thirty, and then was transported to Emmanuel Hospital in Portland. And at that po- moment, you know, I was quickly ushered into the emergency room. Um, that was quite an experience, you know, just laying in bed and looking up at kind of all the, the trauma doctors and um, and they were all kind of working overtime um, with lots of bright lights and machines that go beep, you know, and um, and they they checked everything out. Um, they they took care of kind of the immediate traumatic needs, um, and then I finally was I was roomed um, probably I think it was three a.m. on Sunday morning. I finally got into the um, into the a room. And then they, um, the next morning, I realized they were going to push surgery off a little bit, and I had, I obviously had some pain issues, and the nursing staff they were great. Um, everybody in the hospital did amazing at kind of calming me down um, and and getting my pain under control. But then I finally learned. I think it was, oh, I think it was really early. It was either early Wednesday morning or late Tuesday evening. I learned that my my surgery was scheduled for Wednesday at four, and they were going to do both my wrist and my hand. Um, and I became really anxious about that um, because I've never I've never had surgery before, and it was interesting. I wasn't anxious at all on the mountain. Like that felt like that was my domain, you know. And in in traumatic experience or in emergency experience. I mean, adrenaline is just flying through my bones and flying through my veins. And, um, and so I felt, I felt good. I've told people actually, you know, that the whole experience on the mountain being saved and being rescued, like it was fun. (laughs) People laugh at that. Like we, there was smiles. I was joking around with the rescuers, you know, and of course I'm a talker and so I'm talking (laughs) to all of them about anything and everything. You've got 30 people. Yeah, as like a captive audience. audience. Yeah. Um, but this surgery, for some reason, like I became super, super anxious about this surgery. And so I emailed my spiritual director and I said, Hey, you know, would you be able to call me um, before the surgery and, and pray for me? And he, of course, said yes. Um, but then he, he, he texted me these words. And these words will live with me forever um, because they really put put things into perspective for me. So right before my surgery, I'm anxious, and this is what he says. He says, here's a thought. This that you will do in intimate collaboration with your doctors and nurses today, talking about my surgery, is a particularly personal and incarnate experience of redemption, a saving of your life but not so that it will be saved, but because your life is for others given you by God to love. So let the anxiety you are feeling, of course, be aimed rather than aimless. Let your anxiety be about your mission that you and the doctors and nurses may today free you to fulfill. I like, I read that. And it just, like, put me in my place just like that. Um, Basically, he said, you don't need to be anxious because the surgery is not about you. (laughs) Um, But again, your life, your life is for others. Um, And through this whole process, like, that is kind of one of the biggest reminders that I've kind of experienced over and over again. Um, just that reminder again that I can't, I, I can't be selfish. Like it's not about me. This process is not about me, but, um, it's about the ability to love others, to be a blessing to others, to enhance the lives of other people. And, um, and, and I've, I've seen that, you know, I've experienced that. Um, I, one of the coolest things and just kind of gives me chills. Um, but one of my nurses, um, I think the nurse that was most impactful and significant for me, um, 
she was my nurse for Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, so my second, third, and fourth day in the hospital, which were fairly critical days in the hospital. Um, but she she shared with me on, on the last day in the hospital, she said, Josh, your room is just infectious. Um, she said, people coming in and coming out, like it is obvious that there is this, this profound love, um, this acceptance, um, there's a lot of comments as like, yeah, Josh, you were an idiot. You know, why did you do this? Um, but then that was followed up with, but I'm glad you're alive, you know, and I, I love you and I appreciate you. And um, just this real camaraderie, this real sense of community. And and her life was dramatically impacted by that. Um, and so that, you know, that is just kind of deep in that call for me. Um to work overtime to to continue that to create that community you know and, and even even if it takes you know me falling off a mountain me having traumatic experiences you know like whatever it takes to to be able to fulfill this bigger mission of bringing people together of loving people um you know then then so be it you know like i'm i am i'm willing willing to do that and um so that's like that that's my ultimate goal that's my desire kind of for for all of this um not that not that I'll get better um but rather that God will continue to use this um just to to be able to share his love with others and you know to um for all of us to be able to experience this profound and intimate love yeah yeah um, so, she, your nurse probably should have used a better phrase in a hospital than <laughs> "your room is infectious." <laughs> yeah, that's that's probably not the right term to use for a hospital room, but uh, but yeah, that's a that's a great insight. I, I feel another shirt coming on. Your room is your infectious. room is infectious. <laughs> I'm not going to make that one. <laughs> oh, but um, if I do, though. I'm going to get us a profit this time <laughs> because as it turns out, I make stupid things that people want to buy and did not realize that. <laughs> and that people actually <laughs> buy them. Yeah, yeah. Well, whenever I have just a ridiculous idea, I think no one's going to want this. This is just for the joke. Yeah. Um, always make your jokes profitable. <laughs> oh, there there is money to be made. Um, so, yeah. So have you learned anything else in this whole? Oh man, I've so much, right? I imagine we'll have, you know, plenty more to talk about yeah. in time. Um, yeah, that like, that's kind of my story, I guess. Um, yeah. it continues to, to kind of evolve and, um, I guess the fish gets a little bigger every time too. No, um, that's fine. I that's, initial that's the reports of storytelling. The the fall is is very interesting insight. You know, my this this came from my spiritual director as well. Um, but the fall, my fall started out with like oh, it was a hundred feet. You know, a couple hundred feet. Then PMR Portland Mountain Rescue they they said no, it was four hundred feet. And I then actually started looking at elevations, and it looked like the elevation drop is probably five hundred feet. And because I was on a slope, probably a 50 to 60 degrees to the pitch, um, the math kind of equals out in my mind somewhere between like 600 and 800 feet that I fell. Um, and I was telling this to my spiritual director and he just looked at me and goes, what does it matter? <laughs> like he, he oh, said, you were, <laughs> said because what he was getting at, you know, it was like the, the further you fell, what that does is that just kind of pads your ego a little bit. Um, and uh, yeah. like, oh, dang, it'd be like That's the true. important thing, this is the important thing. I fell a lot. I should have died, but I didn't. Um, and God saved me for a purpose beyond myself. And like, that's it. That like nothing else really matters. You know, the details of the story. Um, again, like, I don't, I don't want this. It's not about me. Like, I, I don't want to brag about that because again I was completely helpless in the entire thing I was completely powerless it had nothing to do with my ability to 
kind of stop myself um, from this fall right. completely at the mercy of something outside of me beyond myself. Um, but the, the story continues and the experience continues to, to shape my life, you know, and, um, and my prayer, my hope is that, you know, um, my family, that we can kind of become stronger as this, my summer is definitely kind of seriously altered because of this accident. I, I can't put any weight on my foot for 10 to 12 weeks. Um, and then it's another three months after that of kind of rehab. So we're looking at like Christmas time before I'm, you know, fully walking again. again. Yeah. Fully. And even then, you know, the doctor said there's most likely you're going to have chronic pain for the rest of your life in your foot. And, um, there's a strong possibility he's going to have to fuse my talus with my subtalar joint. And Mm -hmm. that would eliminate my, my side to side rotation on my ankle. Um, so there's likely going to be some, you know, long-term forever repercussions. Um, but like through all that, just this the spirit of gratitude of just being thankful for for life that I I've been given a gift, um, the gift of another uh, another life, another chance, and not that I was kind of messed up and screwing around the first time, you know, but um, but just to be able to continue to continue to do some of these things that that God has called me to and. Um, so I'm continuing to, to be aware of that, um, realizing, I think probably again, one of the biggest takeaways is realizing my need and really our need is, I think as humans for others, for other people. And I, I'm being forced to do that. Like I can't get dressed by myself, you know, like I, I'm requiring my wife to help me in that. And it's an incredibly humbling experience. Um, but it, it's an experience that, you know, can, can teach me great things, you know, and I can, I can learn from that, um, and let that impact, you know, how I interact with others, how I live my life. So. Well, and um, it's an experience that, um, many people live with, you know, since they were born. Yeah. When I was at the group home, we had to get everyone dressed. Like Mm. that's, that's the thing you're, you're experiencing something that many people don't know anything other, other. Yeah. Yeah. So I guess to close up, um, do you, you can't know the answer to this, but how do you hope that this experience will affect your, um, life and your ministry in the future? Again, I like the, the biggest thing is, is relying on others and it's that surrender piece. I feel like this, this whole experience has, is allowing me to kind of experience surrender a little bit more deeply um, you know, just when you, just when you thought you were surrendered, <laughs> just when you thought you had it figured out, um, you know, this, this comes to you, you, you get an experience like that. And, and so I'm really being forced to surrender. And my, my hope, my prayer is that I will continue to open myself to that and allow myself, you know, allow it not to be something that's forced. Um, but I, I want that, I want that it's surrender. I want that complete dependence and reliance on God and everything that I do. Um, and, uh, and so that's, I, that's, I think the, the biggest thing. And, and I have no, uh, like I, I've got no expectations, I guess, kind of on what, what to do, you know, beyond this, you know, saying like, Oh, you know, are you going to be, you know, you give yourself more to the church or, you know, is there this ministry that you want to kind of really push or, like it, it's actually almost has the opposite effect where right. like I, I just want to be more open to what God wants to do, you know, and to be able to listen to him, to discern kind of what, what he's doing um, and what others too. Like, again, being more, I feel like I'm already a pretty good team player, but, you know, even being more so kind of opening myself up to that and really kind of including others uh, more and more. It seems to be a lot more Jesus-y of a of an approach. You know, trying. Jesus um, didn't fall off a mountain though, and he so he went up onto a mountain. Yeah, he climbed a mountain to pray. So it just realizes how stubborn I guess I I am that it it takes something like this to make me a little bit more like Jesus. And um, 
he did climb a mountain and <laughs> died there. there it's, it's true. There's there's a there's loose parallels that don't really work. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. Like and and again, of course, you know, like that. Any life experience, like my my hope is that it it would make me just a little bit more like Christ, you know, and, and that, um, you know, I'm of course far from him. Um, and I, I pray, I pray I don't have to have many more of these kind of life altering traumatic experiences, you know, to, I hope not <laughs> to make me more and more like him. You're like, all right, I got my right foot taken care of now my left foot, what's going to happen to my left foot? Um, yeah. Yeah, um, this is the second time. We've known each other for 15 years, something like 20 years. Yeah, fif- uh, 14. 15. I make the fish bigger, too. <laughs> um, it's, which, by the way, I don't see as a problem. I, <laughs> I, um, I recently watched a video with Tony Campolo, and he was uh, an evangelist for many years, and he was saying, I don't know if this story is true, but it's way too good a story <laughs> to not tell that that's fine. That's fine. <laughs> yeah. Um, but there, this is the second time in 14, 15 years that uh, you've done something and it nearly killed you because you had the giant wave knocking you onto the rocks in the ocean. Oh, I got lots of... Long... Yeah, yeah I was there for I'm, two, I'm, and it hasn't been long enough that we've known each other for there to be two times yeah, that, <laughs> that I've, I've, I've been around to see you almost kill yourself. It's my second trip down the mountain in an emergency vehicle. Um, oh, seriously? Ago, yeah. Wow. A number of years ago, I had a head injury in the half pipe, and I rode down in an ambulance. Wow. Wow. Um, yeah, so I that was a much shorter um, trip down in recovery, though. Yeah, uh, yeah, it was. Um, <laughs> yeah, for sure. Less awesome, though. Less, um, less of a story there. Right. I fell down in a half pipe and got brought down in an ambulance. It's not quite <laughs> the Black Hawk helicopter couldn't land because right, of yeah. the wind, and so they had to pull me down for ten hours in a sled. That's, That's true. It's a little bit more dramatic. Yeah, there's an epic story here. There's an I don't want to go bigger than that. Like I'm hoping. Please this. don't. <laughs> Please this don't. This is it. Here's stop here's here. the bigger. Here's the bigger that you go. We we make the movie. <laughs> <laughs> There's a movie here. I want George Clooney to play me. <laughs> Shooting too high, bro. All Shooting right, too all high. Right, all, right. <laughs> all right. Well, um, we we know this has been a a bit of a different situation and i'm sure we'll talk about this a thousand more times um and i'm i'm thinking we'll probably cut in line and put this out sometime soon so people can uh get this story sooner rather than later but um while we weren't talking about uh ministry or success or unsuccess uh very much i think this story uh has some great spiritual lessons attached Mm. and so we wanted to dive into it but if you want to uh, get in touch with us we're on facebook we're on instagram we're on uh what else are we on twitter um yeah yeah i mean you can find my stories um like that's true i'm on the news he's on the news this was like serious news i went to i so i was preaching at a Vesper service. Uh, I mentioned this to you, but uh, I was preaching at a Vesper service on Sunday afternoon and it was in a retirement home and well, not really a retirement home. What's the PC word for old folks home retirement? I'm not sure. I don't know. Yeah. Anyway. So, so I was doing a Vesper service there and um, someone was asking, how are you doing? And I said, well, I'm okay. I just visited my friend. He just fell off a mountain and this guy goes, the climber? And I said, yeah. And he turns around to all of his people. Hey, everybody. He knows the climber. <laughs> and so this whole like flock of people comes over and starts asking me questions. And I tell him, like, I, I know basically what you know, but I saw him and he's fine. And, um, and then I finish preaching and it ends and I pray and I say, thank you for coming. Uh, and the same guy goes, oh, also, he knows the climber. Ask him <laughs> about the climber. I had forgotten that 
when you're in a retirement community, they do a lot of reading the news yeah. <laughs> and watching the news. And so I, um, I shouldn't have said anything, man. They, <laughs> it was, it was like moths to a flame. People, people were into this wow. story. It was crazy. So, uh, yeah. so and yeah, I, check it out here. You're all over YouTube on, uh, yeah, I did, you know, channel eight, channel two, channel six and channel 12 all did a story. And, they, I watching the story. They did a really good job. I, I felt like they really captured the essence of 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 my experience of the story. So definitely, highly recommend if you're interested checking good. those out. Um, I also try to have my Facebook kind of update via Facebook, so you can stay up to date with kind of my progress and my uh, my field trips. I get another field trip today. I get to go to the the surgeon for my arm. And so that's always exciting oh, to be able to get out of the house. That'll be fun. Um, <laughs> yeah. You looked, uh, everyone said pirate when they talked about your, uh, that's right. I've got a your little peg leg, little peg leg. I thought it was more bionic. Like I, I was thinking more Terminator, which is yeah, cooler. Yeah. You know, totally pirates fine, but, um, bionic is definitely bionic cooler. pirates like this. This could be, uh, the sequel to our movie. Uh, anyway, for the <laughs> we're so off the rails. Uh, for the Unsuccess Podcast, I'm David, and I am Josh, and we will see you next time.